but I really do relish in the imperfect of life right now. I mean, and I, and I look at it so fondly that I feel like life would be really, really boring without the imperfect parts. Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast with your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. You'll hear authentic, entertaining stories with tips, lessons, and wisdom from champions to inspire, motivate, and educate you. You'll get the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo Podcast, where I am co-hosting with Maria Parker, We have a fantastic show for you today. We'll be talking about what our guest calls an imperfect life. And with none other than Summer Sanders, Olympic gold medalist, author, broadcast personality, businesswoman, and humanitarian. Summer swam at Stanford University and won back-to-back NCAA Swimmer of the Year awards in only her two years as a collegiate swimmer. And... She helped Stanford win the NCAA title in 1992. Then, in the 1992 Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona, Summer was the most decorated U.S. swimmer, winning four medals, two gold, a silver, and a bronze. And I'm so excited to talk with Summer today. What an inspiration. I've been a huge fan all my life. So, uh, Maria, before we go any further with Summer, can you give our listeners just a little more background on Summer? Sure. I'm really excited about this interview, too, because as Kelly knows, I'm not a swimmer, and even I know Summer Sanders, so I'm really honored to have you on the show today. Um, After Summer's swim career, she focused her attention on a career in television, and now 25 years later, her resume is impressive. She started with CBS Sports and MTV and then went on to work for every major network and news program, Today Show, Good Morning America, and Rachel Ray, where she was a special correspondent for ABC and NBC. She currently co-hosts CBS Sportnet's award-winning We Need to Talk. She is also the author of Champions Are Raised, Not Born, How My Parents Made Me a Success. Wow. Yes. You guys and... are awesome. Can I say hello yet? I feel yes. like I need to just like interject here. And I, you know, the older you get, the less you really hear um, like the kudos, the nice things that you've done in your life. And I'm not going to lie. It feels pretty awesome to hear that kind of stuff. So I'm equally excited to be a part of your tribe today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, oh, yeah, it's it's our pleasure and honor. So, um, you know, you're up there, Summer, and doing all the things just looks so naturally to you. And you're inspiring people you don't even know. I mean, here Maria and I are. We're just two little women out in the world that are just doing our thing and you're doing your thing. But, you know, we see you, the shining star up there. So it's it's going to be really fun. Well, oh my God, we you see, guys are so sweet. Yeah, it's, but what's more is we see. I, I love your your honesty and authenticity in your life. It's not like your the imperfect life. I mean, it's it's a beautiful way to present yourself to the world because we all have imperfect lives. So yes, this is very fun for us. It, interesting and just touching on upon that when it comes back to my um, my swimming career and my sports career. So kind of in any sporting environment. I wasn't judged in my sports, so perfection, so to speak, with hair and presence and, and the judging aspect wasn't there. But I was pretty obsessed with, with like being perfect when I was younger, mm. right? Like never getting detention, always getting A's, always showing up with my homework. 
being on time for swim practice. And, and I'm glad I had that in my blood and was taught that by not, not only my parents instilled that in me, but every coach that I had in the sport of swimming. And it's definitely about accountability. Um, but I really do relish in the imperfect of life right now. I mean, and I, and I look at it so fondly that I feel like life would be really, really boring without the imperfect parts. And yes, many of them are so inconvenient. Like when I fell on my bike and I broke my shoulder and I put my hand on my shoulder immediately. And this is when I was like 41 or something. And the first thing out of my mouth was, I don't have time for this. <laughs> and yes, many times, like we just don't have time for the imperfect, but yet maybe we should, because maybe that does make us more unique and it makes us appreci appreciate when things do kind of go our way or things are pretty smooth. That is such, oh, that's such a great, great point. And, you know, sometimes life does just, it slows you down. So you do like you break your shoulder and then you get to sit there and think about something else, maybe go in a different direction. So that's such a great, great point. So um, Summer, catch up our listeners on what you are doing now. Well, currently, girls, I am sitting in my Spanish dining room, which is also a living room here. And I'm looking out at giant glass windows, doors onto El Sardinero Beach in Santander, Spain, where there is barely a cloud in the sky. It's quite windy. So there are white caps on the ocean. And so then to back up and make it a little more vague, um, I am living in Spain with my family for the year. And we're coming upon our final month and a half of uh, international living on purpose. Um, and I sort of stepped back, which I know you two have read my blog, but, um, if you go to summersanders.co, I have a blog on there just sort of about this year abroad. And one of, one of probably the most vulnerable and scary blogs I wrote was about stepping away from work for a year. And, and I've, I've fully recognized and I'm quite lucky to be able to do that. But I mean, lucky also, and I've worked really, really, really hard for a very long time and saved up. Because my husband and I both wanted to do this. It was very important for us. And we have a budget and we have, you know, we know how much we're spending. We've rented out our house. So we've gotten pretty disconnected with our personal belongings, right? To be able to do something like that. But stepping away from work has been probably uh, one of the hardest things I've had to do. And now a month and a half later, I mean, a month, month and a half until the end, I'm a little bit scared about stepping back into work and figuring out my new normal. What, what lessons are you going to take from this year into your back into your life? Right. I mean, I could, I, maybe I'll write a book about it because there's so many, um, taking time right in Spain. And I know that we have some people who've lived in Spain, um, in this conversation, but in Spain, time is your greatest gift. It's time with family. It's time with food. Um, it's time in between your, your La Comida and your cafe at the end, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's that time. It's that, you know, siesta, but not so much a siesta anymore. And it's not like people are like really taking a nap. They're just, they're connecting and that's a part of life. So, you know, they study these countries, right? Where people live really long and part of that study and that aspect that they're looking for is that work-life balance and the social connection. And that's where that all fits in. So a big lesson for me is taking that time 
right? To try not to rush through things so completely um, where you miss out on so many of these beautiful little things, right? No, no, we have to leave dinner right now. We need to get the kids in bed at this time. No, we have to get them there right now because, but just pause for a second. And maybe you're missing something really special where you could just connect for a couple more minutes and then everything's still going to be just fine. It's going to be just okay, you know? Um, So yes, time is probably the one big thing I will try to incorporate and it'll be really hard, but I'll try my best to incorporate it into my daily moment, like every moment of my daily life. That is so, so beautiful. So um, when you were planning this year, what, what, what was there an impetus? So initially my husband is an Olympic skier. I was an Olympic swimmer. We've traveled internationally a ton since our youth. I think his first international trip was 14. Um, and mine was around 13, 12, 13. Um, so the world has, has seen, has been in our eyes, equally impressive and huge, but also quite small, accessible. Right. Um, so we wanted both of us, we really wanted to live abroad. We, We wanted to do something different and experience it differently. So in the beginning it was New Zealand because we had this love for New Zealand, but then the importance shifted to language because our kids got into this dual immersion school. And so um, we needed a Spanish-speaking country, Um, and we went through a bunch of Spanish-speaking countries, and we thought Spain, gorgeous, beautiful, like pure dialect of Spanish in Castellano, and super close to Europe and other places to go explore. So, and, And then one of the side notes was, hey, maybe we can find a surfing spot, because we live in the mountains where there's snow this would definitely be something different that I don't know if we'll be able to do in our life again. So we live 50 meters from a surf break. That's so great. Were you already surfing or did you learn to surf? No. I mean, listen, I, in my dreams, I have two dreams almost every night. Number one, that I'm beating up a shark, which is very (laughs) stressful. It's very, I'm constantly saving the world of these sharks. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, And number two, it is being a great surfer. So uh, I am not a great surfer. I am not, but I love it. And I dream about it. So I think those two things together, if I just, if I can incorporate my dreams into real life, not the shark ones, but um, the surfing ones, I'll be a better surfer. It's, you guys look at it this way. When, when you have a love of water um, and you're comfortable as a swimmer, let's say, and you can teach your children that, then you sit out on the water with your surfboards and in between the sets of waves, you have incredible conversations, Mm. incredible Mm. conversations. So we have had many like unbelievable family moments, just hanging in the water. The swell has not been great. Just waiting for the waves to come. And and so that's, uh, just think about surfing as a family connection, and then you might see it differently. That's great. It's like mm-hmm. like the connection I used to have with my kids in the car. You're, you're facing the same direction. You're not looking at each other and these things come out. Right, <laughs> exactly. Know, that's, that's cool. Well, and that leads me to my a question about your book, uh, or the, the Champions Are Raised, Not Born, 
what what are you know I I know you're clearly you must have had terrific parents because, <laughs> because you're obviously a very uh, intentional parent yourself. So can you talk a little bit about things that you know we can do to help our children become champions and things that we can from that book you know or, or from yes. your, your own ex- or, or things that we can do for ourselves as you know as a fifty six year old what you know what can I learn from that. Here's the deal. And, and it's funny you asked that. My mom, literally, we left her at the airport yesterday. We dropped her off. We didn't leave her, but we, she went back home from Spain yesterday. And um, I always get so sad when I say goodbye to my mom. Yes, my parents are amazing, but my parents are very far from perfect. Um, and my life growing up was very far from perfect. My parents divorced when I was seven. Um, I lived six months, my brother and I lived six months with my dad and then six months with my mom, yet they lived less than a mile apart, about a mile apart from each other. Um, and it was super hard, super hard, very difficult. Um, but like I've said, the imperfect parts of life make you who you are, you know, and, and. And the greatest part, the greatest gift, I think one of the greatest gifts my brother and I got is we really got to know our parents as humans, as individuals. You know, we saw them cry. We saw them get frustrated. I watched my dad try to try to cook. Um, I, I struggled as a young girl with my dad and my brother six months out of the year. And what do I do? Because I washed my shirt, dad, and it's so wrinkled. I can't even wear it. So you just suck it up and you wear a super wrinkled shirt to school and try to explain to your friends, like, my, my dad doesn't know how to do this stuff. Um, and my mom struggled with money and I, you know, I, I had a, a, a mattress on the floor and I didn't have a bed frame for it. And I remember, that, I'll never forget the day I saw the truck rolling down our road and I was on my bike and I'm following it all the way home because it had the frame for my bed. I was so excited because I was my bed was going to be raised up to a normal height, um, and yet I loved it when the mattress was on the floor. Thought it was pretty cool. It's just different. So yes, my parents were amazing. Um, my parents also. I had a dad who didn't put any pressure on me at all because he didn't understand swimming, this sport that took up so much time. And I had a mom who had no other choice but to hold me accountable and. And I loved that she did that. But I say that because she was a very busy mother. She she had a job that was nine to five. Um, it just paid the bills. And if we were not ready to go when we needed to be ready to go, her whole balance of her day was off. Um, so she was under a lot of stress. So I felt both sides, the super relaxed and then you know, the highly stressful and rigid and scheduled, um, kind of lifestyle, but which I think was great, you know, and again, it goes back to just knowing these people as individuals and understanding they're not perfect and they're going to have faults and, and the kids might have to pick up pieces every now and then. So you split your time between the two of them. I did. That, and gosh, and so you got so much from each of their individuality. That's really a great, you know, a great way to, to learn to look at it you yeah. know, and, and to, to look, look at, at it. it because yeah. i'm sure there are you know our listeners either come from a divorced family or divorce themselves and um you know i have a, a friend right now that's that you know they both want to get divorced but they um they want to stay together for the kids and you know that's that's something that i think a lot of families go through so um, oh totally i you know when my parents first told me 
it was the seventies, right? I don't think I had a single friend whose parents were married. And, um, <laughs> when my parents, <laughs> when my parents first told me, I was like, okay, well, this probably isn't that bad. Um, cause they were getting separated and there was in the back of my mind, I was like, well, maybe I'll get a few more gifts because <laughs> my friend Megan's getting a lot of gifts from her parents. So that might be fun. Hmm. And then when they told me they were going to get divorced, um, I, obviously I was very, very sad. And I actually wrote up a full diagram on how they could share the house because really the trouble spot was the kitchen. Um, so there were going to be time periods when you could be in the kitchen. And so I, I created this whole like diagram and plan and schedule of how they could share the house. As a seven-year-old, as a seven-year-old, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So I always, I always say to people, your kids are so smart, you know, and even though you might not talk about it in front of them under particulars, kids always know, they always know. And, and, they're pretty amazing and pretty resilient when you just open up to them as, as humans, as opposed to the protector and the parent, you know, when you really talk to them about your feelings. I remember my dad would always say to me when I got upset, uh, you know, he knew it was difficult being, I'm a girl and I'm going through hormonal changes and we, I only had my brother and my dad there. And so he, he knew one thing and that is you have to talk about your feelings so he would sit me down on the edge of my bed when I was sad and he would not leave my side until I told him what was wrong. And this could be 20 minutes of him saying, what's wrong, Summer? And me saying, nothing. No. What's wrong? Nothing. I mean, 20 minutes of that until mm. I finally broke down and told him what was wrong. Wow. That's an wow. incredible wow. story. Wow. I mean, that is so... I, I mean, that's so rare. I mean, you know, I adore my dad. He's still one of my, you know, he's, you know, he's 89 and I'm, I'm with him a lot and I adore him. But I, I think our, you know, the opposite, I had, um, you know, buck up, you know, you know, it was a very stoic family. And um, so that, I think that's a rare thing, for, especially from your dad, you know, like I could see that from my mother for sure. But um, from a father, that is a very unique thing. And it is, it is. Yeah, I, 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 and I appreciate it so much. And I, I do try to use that with my kids. Yeah. I was going to ask, do you use that technique with your kids? Yeah. yeah. I, so, I just, I'm like, you guys, even if it's not a great thing that you want to tell me, even if it's something that's going to make me sad or something that might make me upset, I'm going to hear you. I'm going to hear you. And I'm not going to react right away. We, you have to talk about it. Um, and they, they, we do, we pretty much talk about everything. We do. We have a very open relationship and, and there'll be hurdles. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect with this at all. That is so beautiful. So I'm getting so far just on that little part for helping people, you know, raise champions or just winners or being, you know, good parents. So one is just be yourself, be authentic, be imperfect. And then the second one is really, um, talk about your emotions. Is there one more you could say that you gleaned from, you know, your growing up with such great parents? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think my parents were very comforting and my love and their support. Uh, ne it just, it, it never, um, was in, uh, <laughs> It was always there is what I want to say. It wasn't as if it only, I only felt loved and supported when I did well. So their love as parents 
did not change that love and that support and that feeling I had from them did not change at all because of sports. And I say that and the best way I can describe that is if I go to a swim meet and I swim really poorly and at the end of the swim meet, there's a pizza party. Um, we go to the pizza party anyway. If I swim in a swim meet and I do well, we go to the pizza party anyway. There, it's, yeah. it's not like, well, Summer didn't swim well at the swim meet, so let's not go to the pizza party. Life and the fun and the support uh, and, and I want to say like the foundation never, ever wavered. It was so solid of why they loved me. It had nothing to do with my performance in sport. And I think really making that clear to your kids and, and, and on the contrary, if you misbehave, um, this has nothing to do with how you just did in that swim meet. But if you behaved poorly, I'm going to be disappointed in you, even though you just went and broke a record in the swimming pool, right? There, there has to be this disconnect between performance and what you do in sport and the human being that you're creating and the human being that is your child. Um, because that's, that's where you come in. And of course you cheer and you love. And, and that is a, a true divider between a parent and a coach, mm-hmm. a parent and a coach, a coach. Yes. Is a hundred percent reactive to how you do in your sport, on the field, in your race, all of that. But a parent, their love and their support is is a, a st- very strong, cemented foundation. Um, does that make sense? Am I explaining yeah. that? Yes. Un- un- unconditional, absolutely. That's that's a, and it's even more so. So it's in that action. I think that pizza party is just such a pure um, example of, and many parents are hesitant, right? Like, oh well, he or she did horrible. I like we shouldn't even go to the party afterwards. It, no. It's it's so not connected to the performance of the swim meet. You go to the pizza party afterwards, and then you you don't make a big deal out of it, and let them blow off their steam. If they want to be pissed off, be pissed off. Do you think you did well? Honestly, nobody. You don't have to be great all the time, Mm -hmm. but you have to accept it when you're not great, and you'll Mm -hmm. also accept that I love you no matter what. Um, But I can I can also can say this wasn't your best time I think you could have been tougher do you think you could have been tougher awesome do it next time now let's go eat pizza yeah so I when when you were painting that picture I was having a hard time visualizing Summer Sanders having a bad meet so it just naturally leads me into the question how I'm sure you did but you know I I mean we you know that's typical but how how did you deal with failure as both a swimmer and you know in your professional career, how, how do you do with failure? So, right. Failure. I've met many people who can't stand the word failure. And I think failure is just like the greatest gift in the world. Just turn it on its head and put a beautiful face on failure. And it's like, it's there. It's like a giant, perfect piece of chocolate and it's there for the taking for you. Right. Are you, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to take it? And are you going to deal with it? Or are you going to sweep it under the rug and let it melt and get all gooey and grody and find it later and then deal with it? But for me, I had many failures. I was a horrendous 14-year-old. I was awful to my parents, to my mom, my poor mom when I was 14. And although I was still ahead of the game and going to nationals in swimming, 
I was getting last at nationals. So, you know, now I'm, I'm in a, a bit more of an expensive level of my sport. And I'm, you know, I'm a California girl. I'm going all the way to, to um, Florida, to Boca Raton, Florida for a swim meet. And I get last. Mm. And I don't really, I'm not crying about it. I'm not super sad. So my parents are trying to understand, does she just not love it anymore? Is this it? Is this what we hear where a kid has a ton of natural talent and natural talent only takes you to that point where you have to decide, am I going to be the difference maker? Am I going to work really, really hard? Because I've, I've worked hard, but it came pretty easy to me up to that point. And so somewhere in that next year, I, um, I, I switched it around and I decided to actually show up. And I say that purposely because you started this whole podcast with an intention, right? And, and so we're really into that word and intentions. And there, re- there is a drastic difference when you have a, a routine, a daily routine every single day of just, you think you're showing up, but you're not. You're just there, right? And, and I would get there because my mom or my dad would drive me to practice 45, 50 minutes. Oh my so I was goodness. there, but I wasn't showing up. And so you've got to show up every day to get great. Mm-hmm. And then you Beautiful. can show up like three quarters of the time to be good. You maybe show up half the time and you're like, okay, but you have to be honest with yourself. What's your expectation? Do you want to be okay? Do you want to be pretty good? And do you want to be great? And, um, I decided to really, really show up and it, it can be scary to really show up because then when you're putting all your cards in, this is everything I have and you're not great. Maybe you'll never be great. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's a scary, that's the scariest part as a little kid to just really go and try your absolute hardest. That's so, that's courageous. I mean, that's, that's so courageous. And do you do that? Do you, have you done that in your um, professional career post swimming? Yeah, I feel it more in my post swimming career. Um, And it's, it's a balance, right? When you do so much, let's say for instance, I'm going to interview somebody, right? And I want to study all about them. Mm -hmm. I want to know, shouldn't I know everything about them? But then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I have so much information in my head. And that's a lot of information depending on how old they are and how many wins they got here and, and, and medals there and where they grew up. And sometimes too much information and too much prep is just too much. Right. Um, so there have been times when I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm not showing up enough. I got to do more work for this, where sometimes in my, in my you know, television life, maybe a little bit less is more because you want to allow for some spontaneity. Right. You want to allow for some real moments of not knowing everything about this. I don't want, I want to, I don't want to come off like a total weirdo that knows everything about my subject, but um, yeah, so that's, that was a pretty tough transition of trusting how much is enough in my professional life. How about in your marriage and your you know, your family life, do you, do you apply the same principles? I, for me, I mean, obviously every aspect of life is a little bit of, of working. I think showing up for my kids is, 
um, that's, that's like a cortisone. That's like a heart thing. Um, I love, I love being a part of whatever they do. I love supporting them like here in Spain. So much of what they have to do is really, really study for tests. There are no computers. It's like old school school, the way you and I did it. Yeah. Everything's written down on a piece of paper. They've got to copy questions from the book into their notebook and everything. Um, so when they ask me, will you help me study for my test tomorrow? I'm like, yes, I am all in. I want to know what you're doing and I'd love to quiz you. Um, so I don't necessarily look at it as obviously as work in that sense of working at it. Um, but it is an aspect of showing up, you know, through your cortisone. It's, it's mm. opening and showing up with your full heart, um, putting your phone down and being present. And yes, we, we do that. And, and it's not necessarily inspired by me. I have a daughter that is an old soul who just cannot stand cell phones in the family interaction time. Can't stand it. Oh, love it. Mm -hmm. is She's 13 too. That's amazing. That is it is kind of, isn't awesome. it? So um, Summer, we cannot have a, a strong woman like you with all your experience um, not answer a question for us that Maria and I have kicked around a lot. And I mean, one of the impetus for the podcast is to share conversations that she and I have had as best friends and, you know, athletes together and just sister-in-laws and, and we've just supported each other so much. And we get into these deep conversations and, and with, with other women. And there seems to be a thought group out there that thinks that women could do more to support each other professionally out in the world, that there seems to be a a trend that women are not as supportive as they could be to help each other, to help reach our goals. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's very real. Um, I think it's a, I don't know necessarily if it's documented, but if you just look at how few women are in the C-suite. And let's just say, for instance, if you were to look at it uh, and say, well, there's a quota, so to speak, right? Like more businesses want women in their C-suite and they, they want this percentage to be of the times. Maybe women feel threatened. Like I'm the, the three, I'm one of the three women in the C-suite of this company they're not going to hire any more than that. So I don't want to be replaced. I'm not 100% sure if men feel that threatened by other men in that position because there are more spots just percentage-wise for men in the C-suite. So, but, but I do believe that, that businesses want more women in decision-making roles that impact companies um, because they know it has a positive effect. If women can start seeing other women as a way for, for everyone to grow and not feel threatened, and we can change that culture at a very young age, I think it has to start very young, um, then I think it can change. But I do think it's a very accurate and real statement. I, 
I haven't necessarily experienced it a ton. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe because my mentality growing up has always been to support my teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in, I was in an individual support. I mean, I had some of my best friends were my main competitors. Granted, I wanted to beat them on the playing field because they were one of seven other competitors I was competing against in a final, but, um, I really, I really loved them and supported them and wanted them to do well, to do well as well. Um, but I don't, I, 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 you know, I think it's got to start young. If, if the question is, is it real and can we change it? Yes, it's real. And can we change it? Absolutely. And it starts with our kids, um, and our young women and giving them the confidence to know I can help another woman. And that does not threaten my chances of being up. Yeah. And I, I think that it, it's a great corollary to a swim team because, um, you know, I can envision you with your Stanford teammates. I mean, I was at the NCAAs where you guys won, um, you know, as a coach, I was, you know, a head coach there that year that you guys won and had, I think, you know, 10 swimmers there. Of course, I swam on many teams that went to NCAAs and it it's just like that. So you're, you are, competing individually you want to beat your teammates but you love your teammates and you want them to do well and i think maybe if we could um get our listeners to hear that there's plenty of room at the table you know that there's abundance you know that yeah just like you want us to you know you want your teammates to do well and the actually the better they do the better you do because i'm sure your practices at stanford were incredibly competitive, pushing you to be better with those other women there, right? Right. Absolutely. The correlation between your team and swimming and the spots at the table, if, if we can somehow, and, and, but also validate the people who've en- been in the game of executive positions in businesses and you're a woman, they've been in this game for so long. They've only seen one or two people that look like them. And they're like, I want to keep my spot. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Worked so hard for that spot. Keep that spot. But what has changed is there are more spots available for women. These companies, from what I've heard, what I've gathered, and what I think, is that they want more women at that table. So, and then you'll be looking across at people who may think similarly to you or have, uh, you know, it it may be more effective to make change and to grow a company because now you have other minds added to the mix. And so I think, I think that's absolutely true. If we can change that philosophy of you're not competing against this person because there's only one spot available. There are many spots available. Let's, let's get you help mentor this person to bring her up and have her sit right next to you. Yeah. And what's wrong with having an, like, you know, a company of all women. And didn't I read that we need to talk as an all women producer crew and host? All of it. We're all women talking about sports, talking about sports. Isn't yeah. that fantastic? I remember pitching. I can't tell you how many sports segments, but like human interest, yummy, good, make you tear up kind of <laughs> sports segments that I would pitch for the Today Show and Good Morning America. And I wouldn't even get a like a toenail into the office. And they'd be like, if this is about sports, it's not for morning TV. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but but it's like so good and it's inspiring and motivating. They're like, no, sports won't work on morning TV. Now you've got Michael Strahan 
you know, and Robin Roberts mm -hmm. uh, co-hosting Good Morning America. It's like, right. come on now. This is fantastic. So, yes, we are an all-female sports talk show um, in front of the camera and behind the camera. And things are changing in summer. I've got to tell you this quick story just because I feel like we're having coffee with you. So I got my undergraduate degree in broad, you know, in broadcast communications. I wanted to go out and do very similar things to things that you did. But um, my first job, I sent my resume off. My name, Kelly Parker, captain of the swim team, all American, blah, blah, blah. I get an interview with a, a television station in Wilmington, North Carolina. I drive from Raleigh. I was, you know, I was an NC State swimmer, drive from Raleigh. I go down, um, you know, for my two o'clock interview because it was a sports caster position. So I'm like so excited. I'm going to get to be talking about sports. I had a good resume. I had done some halftime spots uh, for the final four of basketball for Jefferson Pilot. So I had a good resume and I certainly knew sports. I was you know, dating a major league baseball player. I, I knew baseball stats. I mean, I knew football. I grew up with all brothers. I'm like, this is so great. I'm going to just blow away this interview. So I walk in the door and the the station manager, producer, throws his pen down and he said, please tell me you're not Kelly Parker. And I said, yeah, why? He said, I thought you were a man. Our our market would never, ever take a woman. Our, no. Go, go back to Raleigh. That was 1984. So I was just crestfallen. And I, I just I tell that story to to say how much ch things have changed. But that is a true story. And it's and, you know, I, I, I get so frustrated when I hear that. But it was our it was our reality. It yeah. was. And so when you take that and you realize how much has changed. Then you take our previous conversation, our, our theme one question before, which is um, the culture of women helping other women. It'll happen. It'll happen, but it takes work. It takes mm -hmm. showing up with our young girls to remind them you can be great and make others great at the same time. It's not a choice of one or the other. So let's do this. Yeah. That's great. Maria, you got to weigh in here. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this it, it's really interesting because I have this this conversation with my adult daughters all the time, and what they're hoping for is a post gender world where it doesn't matter that I'm a woman or a man. You know that that we we like to bring all kinds of people to the table, and we want to support each other. The pie is always growing, um, so I, I think it's interesting. We do. They would. They wouldn't. My daughters in, in their early thirties wouldn't wouldn't be having the conversation about how they can support other women. They'd be having the conversation. Let's not even let's not even talk about gender. Let's just support each other as human beings. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. Super, well, oh, super valid. Well, we're. I know we've taken up so much of your time, more than we intended. But I, I have one more question that I want to ask. Um, and I mean, this is this is the major theme of our show. What what you're a champion in so many ways. What commonalities do you think, uh, you know, champions share? What what makes people champions? I think honesty, honesty work with worth work ethic. Um, like I said before, I think that you find whatever you're good at at some point in your life, whether it's sports, you'll find it probably pretty young, whether it's a profession, 
You may find it a little bit later in life. Um, but nothing certainly should or can come easy. And, and really hear me when I say should come easy. It shouldn't. So you have to be honest and you have to work at it. And the honesty is, is only with yourself because you can fake it for a while, but you got to be honest with yourself. What's going to make you great? Again, it goes back to that. Just decide. Do you want to be okay? It's okay if you want to work for your paycheck. If you want a career and you want to be great at something and you decide that I want to be great at it, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to work hard. I wish there was a magic spoonful of something that I could give you to get you to the greatness, but that's the difference. And champions decide, I want to be great, and therefore they take on the challenge. And it's not just every other day. It's they're challenging themselves and thriving in that moment, um, every moment of their life. That is beautiful. That's, that's a great beautiful. answer. So, so. Yeah, that's a great answer. And the very last question we usually ask, and I'm just going to push our time just a little bit. Um, is there anything that we covered that, that we have not covered that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, if any, I mean, I think your theme really is these awesome parents that are trying to do the best possible job of raising amazing human beings. And if you were influenced, if you're a parent, you were influenced by sport, which means you were an athlete. Um, doesn't mean you're an Olympic champion, just that you were a part of a team and you were into sports when you were younger. Don't get caught up. Don't get so caught up in creating the next Olympian, the next world record holder, whatever. If you see, first of all, number one, if you see a competitive drive in your child, hallelujah, that's amazing, right? A kid who wants to win, who gets pissed off when they don't, um, that's awesome. I don't think that you can teach that. I think that a kid is born with that. So they have the fire. Now your job as a parent is to figure out how to keep the fire lit meaning have fun and enjoy the process without, um, without snuffing it out in a way where you're putting too much pressure on them. Okay. And, and then always remember that your job is the parent, not the coach. Even if you think you know more than the coach, you need to be the parent. You have to. Um, so that's the first thing. And then number two, if your kid doesn't have that competitive fire, don't ever forget just to let your kid enjoy sports, sports. I mean, you can find your sport later in life. Don't believe that you have to create a one sport show with your kid at the age of six. Mm -hmm. They really can't. There are seasons for a reason. There are seasons for a reason. If you're lucky to have a kid that loves a ball sport, all those other sports complement one another. I mean, really swimming is, a, it, it's tough. You can do water polo. You can do some cross country if you're in more of an aerobic swimmer, but the ball sports, it's such a luxury. Let them play. Let them do all these fun things. Remember it's a process. It's a journey of creating amazing, well-rounded human beings. And I'll say this, I really feel that there is a university and a higher, a platform of higher learning 
for every child, right? We're so obsessed with what school is our kid going to get into and will they get a scholarship or, or maybe we're not, I don't know. But if that's you and you need just somebody to just tell you everything's going to be okay, I, I just, I know firsthand from people who I've watched young kids apply to schools that you thought, oh my God, this kid is never going to get into to college. They're never, never going to get accepted by these universities they're applying to. And I've seen firsthand them get, they were accepted to every single one of them, every single one of them. There's a place for every kid if they want to study and they want to learn and they want to go to university or, you know, higher education. So don't, don't get yourself so pigeonholed as, as to what everybody should be doing and how everyone should be studying and what AP classes you should be taking and, and just do what's right for your kid because you are a really good parent if you love that child. And if you're listening to this, then you probably love that child so much you want to learn um, some tricks of the trade or tools to be even better. So congratulations on being great parents. Oh, that's, that's I love terrific. it. And that and that right there sums up the imperfect life, the imperfect approach to looking at universities. Yeah. You know? So it's daunting, I'm sure, for a lot of parents. That is such great, great stuff. So Summer, we've run out of time and we I just we could talk all day and thank you so much for being with us today. We've really it's just been amazing and um Wishing yes, you all the I, best. Yeah, I totally agree with Kelly. It's been really inspirational. Thank you so much for the time. I know it hasn't been easy for you to schedule in a country with terrible internet, but thank you so much. Yeah. You are welcome. It was my pleasure. I loved every second of it and have just an awesome, awesome day. You thank too. You, and Summer. good luck with your re entry into the US. We'll look forward to seeing you. Maybe we can have you maybe we can have you back on the show in a little bit when you get caught up and back back stateside. Yes. Let's do yeah. it. Hold me accountable, right? Yeah, Remind that's me what some I was going to say. Said, please. That's what I was going to say. We'll ask you, how's it going with that time thing? <laughs> yes. I need you to. Really, okay. I do. I need everybody who listens to this podcast to remind me of that time thing. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. All right. All right. Thanks, Summer. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye-bye. you guys, so much. Bye. Bye. So, wow, Maria. What a great interview. What are your takeaways yeah, I, I totally loved that and would love to chat with Summer some more about her ideas. But I think the thing that moved me the most was something she said early in the interview um, about what she was going to try to take home from her time in Spain. And that was just taking time, <laughs> you know, making sure that everything is not scheduled away and that she's not rushing from one thing to the next, but that that she's taking time to be in the I the way I interpret it is to be in the moment especially in her relationships with her with her family and with her friends and so forth. So I th- I thought that was really beautiful. It's something that I struggle with so much because I'm always looking forward and always, you know, we've talked about that pulling at the reins, thinking about the next thing and I really want to be I want to bring joy into my life by being in the moment, especially in my relationships. So that was one takeaway. That's a um, great one. What's one What's one you got? Well, it, it relates a little bit to that uh, is when she broke her arm and she said, I don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah, I just, great. I just love that part and how, you know, sometimes when life throws you things that are just not in the plan, that 
that could be the universe saying, this is the plan now. And you just have to make lemonade out of lemons. So I love that. How about your next one? Um, there were there was so much good stuff in there. Um, her focus on imperfection, making the imperfect life, making you who you are. That is something that we really... We can't spend enough time on that. It's it's not that you're going to choose to be imperfect or choose to do things wrongly, but things happen, and um, and and those the the difficult things, the the failures, the imperfections do make you who you are, and and to experience them or to accept them, I suppose, with um, maybe even with joy. Okay, this is this is tough, but I know this is going to make my life. It's going to make me appreciate the times when things go well, and um, so I loved, I loved her, her theme essentially that imperfection is okay. So, I found Summer's thread of champions to be, you know, what she thought champions do that makes them champions. But before I go there, I want to say, just observing Summer is such a champion that. She is so positive, like she's so glass half full versus glass half empty. When she was a child, she just embraced her parents' divorce. You know, like this is um, this is happening all around. I'm going to make the best of it. She made the plan. So I love that. And then when she said failure is the greatest gift, that was another thing where she's like just looking at life really positively. So I think just seeing how summer behaves i see that thread in her as a champion and then her answer to what champions do and i love this was that they really show up like um they show up 100% not 50% not 75% that they they make that decision they're honest um about what they're doing so i i think she and that's where she said she turned her swim career around where she went to nationals and you know, didn't do well. And then she decided she was going to really show up. And I think that that was a beautiful takeaway from for me. Yeah, I, I love that, too. I mean, she, and she added nothing. It should come easily, which, you know, yeah. right. When you show up every day and you really show up, it's not easy. Right, right. That is absolutely true. Well, then, Maria, um, anything else? That's that's all. I got to get back to packing. <laughs> yes, you are moving this week out of your home of 25 yes, years. That's and right. We're I moving know this you, week. You, nothing is going to be easy, Maria. <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. I'm going to in embrace there. this. this is... You're showing up. And it's, <laughs> showing up. And, and it's going to be imperfect. This. That's right. That's right. And so. I'm going to try to have joy in amidst the imperfection. It's been great spending time with you today. If you're enjoying our podcast, we'd be so grateful if you would subscribe to Champions Mojo on YouTube and leave us a review on iTunes. That's a wrap. Thank you. Yes, thanks so much for listening. This week's quote of the week comes from Stephen Hawking. One of the basic rules of the universe is that nothing is perfect. Perfection simply doesn't exist. Without imperfection, neither you nor I would exist. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. Please see below for our copy of the show notes for any links or important information referenced here. Signing off for myself and champion co-host Kelly Palace, we hope you'll join us again soon, and we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening. 
You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also, visit championsmojo.com to learn more.